Lights, camera, action. Good afternoon. My name is Russell, and I'm a wilderness explorer in Tribe 54, Sweat Lodge 12. Are you in need of any assistance today, sir? No. I could help you cross the street. No. I could help you cross your yard. No. I could help you cross your porch. No. Well, I gotta help you cross something. No, I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Today we are going to be covering up one of my all-time favorite movies. Honestly, might be one of the best Pixar movies ever made. I would agree. So I'm really excited about covering this today. Um, And with that, Em, you have some details for us? I do. So I, I couldn't believe this. Did you know that this was released in 2009? Well, I saw that when I started researching, but I, it didn't really register that that's when it was released. I didn't think it was that long ago. Oh, I knew it was that long. I thought it might have been earlier than that. Really? Yeah, I thought honestly. it was like 2013 or something. Mm. But anyways, it was released May 29th of 2009. It was directed by Pete Docter. And it's starring the voices of Ed Asner, Jordan Negai, Bob Peterson, and Christopher Plummer. Its distributor was Walt Disney Studios. It has a runtime of one hour and 36 minutes. It's rated PG. Its budget was $175 million, and the box office total was $735.1 million. Wow. Yes. That's insane. Yes. I mean, I knew this did really well, just like Wally did. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow, I can't believe that it, like in 2009, it did almost a billion. Yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah, extremely impressive. Okay, so I have some fun facts. Okay. My first one is probably could fall under a production detail, but it's very interesting. So the average amount of time that it took to render like one frame of film for up was between five and six hours some comp like the of the complicated ones took up to 20 hours so to give you some context for every second of film 24 frames are required yeah and it took four hours to make one frame i don't know if this is general knowledge but i was like blown away i didn't know this um so the animators only produce about four seconds ish ish of animation per week when they got into like the really wow like you know complicated frames and things yeah that's crazy i had no idea that um it took that long yeah i tried to look up like how long it took them overall to make the whole movie i mean i didn't look very long so i'm sure it's out there somewhere but or you could do the math but um well production began in 2004 so Oh, so five years. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's not all animation though. That's right, like story right. development, you yeah. know, stuff like that. Um, so my next one is that for a professional balloon salesman, as we know, Carl is because yes. at the beginning of the movie, he sold balloons with Ellie. Yep. It takes about nine seconds to inflate and tie off a helium balloon. If Carl actually blew up the... 
which you'll say this fact later on. How can you just say your fact yeah, go, now? No, you can. Okay. Yeah, go ahead and share. If Car actually, Carl actually blew up the millions of balloons he'd need for liftoff, it would have taken him about seven years without stopping to eat or sleep. <laughs> to fill them all up? Yes. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, my next one is that the story of Up was inspired by Casablanca and A Christmas Carol. I don't know how, though. Can you elaborate? Yeah, it kind of ties into production details a little bit, but kind of the idea of somebody who um, lost their way and finds themselves themselves again uh, during their journey. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, My next one is that an early draft of the script for Up was set um, like... It was like supposed to be like a war between people in a floating city in the sky and then between people that are like on land and the main characters were going to be like two brothers who like, you know, set their differences aside when they fell to the ground and discovered a magical bird. Like it was like some really kind of crazy stuff. So I'm glad they went with the the storyline they went with because i feel like that would have been i mean pixar does a pretty good job usually so i'm sure they would have made it work but i yeah. much prefer what they did no i agree 100 percent. um i think that yeah i mean the director says it himself when they were working with like the early ideas of the film the story they just couldn't get it to work they couldn't get it to come together or yeah. make sense or anything like that and um Obviously, I'm very happy that um, they went with a story that they did. But um, yeah, I, it's just very off the wall when you look into it. That in another version was like a man who sold balloons, which that, you know, was Carl, except the balloons were like these alien balloons that were like smiling and happy and could talk and stuff. Yeah, that's weird. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my next one is that Pete Doctor, which was the director. Um, had his daughter be the voice of Ellie. And oh, really? Her name is Ellie too. <laughs> That's cool. I love that name. Yes, me too. Um, next the so this is like this is kind of a sad one. So I'm sorry. No, it's okay. But the younger version of Carl, like when he's a boy, doesn't actually say anything in the beginning. You know, he's very quiet. I think he says one word, and it's wow. Yeah. And then Ellie obviously does all the talking. But then when she passes away, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this movie. Uh, um, it's been <laughs> over 15 years. Um, so when she passes away, um, that, I mean, in the montage, nobody's talking, you know? Yeah. So it means that the entire movie, when Carl and Ellie are together, they never speak to each other. Isn't that sad? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Besides his one wow. Like, well, okay, sorry. They don't... I take that back. Ellie spoke to him. Carl never spoke to her besides the wow. That that we see on that screen. That we see on screen, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, that is wild. Um, Next, up is the... Although, but before you move on, I will say on that note that, um, like, from, like, a detached, like, third-person point of view, like, that really does kind of come off as sad. Mm-hmm. But when you really think about it, like the viewing experience, 
I'm really happy that it played out that way. Yeah. I like the music in the background and it just being played out like a silent film kind of. Yeah. It just, you get to experience kind of the show don't tell aspect of storytelling, which is one of the most important parts of storytelling. And I really think, um, I mean, we'll dig into this a little bit when we get into like our likes and dislikes and whatnot, but just um, the emotion that was conveyed through every single scene. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, there was, you know, basically their entire lives you see play out mm-hmm. um, from being newlyweds all the way up to an elderly couple um, and the highs and lows and all of that without any dialogue, you, mm-hmm. f- you feel every bit of it. Right. And so I, th- I think that's extremely cool. Yeah. Um, next one up is one of the only animated movies that has been nominated for a uh, best picture. Really? There has only been three nominated to the state. Wow. Do you have a guess of what the other two are? No, no guesses. No, I honestly, I just want to know. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. I want you to guess. I'll give you a hint. One of them is a Disney princess movie. Cinderella. Wrong. No, Snow White. It was Snow White. No. no, really? The princess one was Beauty and the Beast. Oh, okay. And the other one is part of a trilogy. Yeah. No. Now there's four movies out. Oh, uh, Toy Story? Toy Story 3. I was actually going to guess Toy Story, honestly. It wasn't I, the first one. It was the third one. I wasn't going to guess the third one. I was just going to, in general, like a Toy Story movie. Yeah. So those are the three that have been nominated. None of them have won, as far as I know. Yeah. Um... So, um, the boy who plays Russell or voices Russell, his name's Jordan. He actually didn't audition to play Russell. His brother did. Yeah. And Jordan just went with him to the audition just to kind of be with him. Yeah. So out of the 400 ish children that auditioned for the part, Jordan stood out to the casting people because he just wouldn't stop talking. Yeah. And they realized that he shared pretty much all of Russell's little quirks, you know, and his personality. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. I, I did see that when he was recording his parts in the studio that they encouraged him to actually act out what he was doing, mm. which I think is always helpful. I mean, I'm not a voice actor, but I've, I like learning about films. So I spent a lot of time watching interviews and stuff like that. And all the best voice actors in the industry do that. Mm -hmm. And they like to act with each other, which is not common. But anyways, they like when Kevin is tickling him and stuff like they had um, someone in there tickling him and like turning him upside down when Mm -hmm. he is stuff like that. Can you imagine being his brother, though? What a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but. I don't know. Kids are resilient. Yes. So he was probably happy for him. Um, My next one is that Pixar had a group of live ostriches come to the studio for reference for Kevin. Oh, that's cool. And Pete Doctor, like we said, was the director, did most of Kevin's little screeches and noises and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. That's kind of like Brad Bird directing The Incredibles and being the voice of Edna. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, that's cool. And my last one, so the villain, which we know is Charles Muntz, yes, has a very similar name to Charles Mintz. Did yes. you notice that? Oh yeah, I I knew about this. I had learned about it previously. Oh, 
Well, well yeah, I'll go ahead and share for people yeah. who don't know. So Charles Mintz was uh, like a Universal Pictures executive. And it, back in 1928, he stole Walt Disney's uh, production rights to the character Oswald, the Lucky Rabbit, which was uh, the thought first before character. Mickey Mouse. Yeah, it so was, that was going to be like the... What's yeah. the word I'm looking for? It like was going to be like the, the premier character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before Mickey Mouse was thought up. So yeah. obviously, since the rights were stolen from Disney, that led him to create Mickey Mouse. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought that was a pretty interesting parallel that their vo- their names are quite similar. Yeah. Um, so Charles Mintz actually worked with Walt. Um, right. Like. He wasn't just a random Universal producer. He he helped Walt kind of get going with animation and get started. He produced the Oswald the Lucky Rabbit mm-hmm. uh, shorts that Walt made, and then he ended up stealing it from him because he thought it was going to be successful, which mm-hmm. it probably was going to be if Walt had continued working on them. Right. Um, but obviously history, we all know that they parted ways and... Walt founded the mega studio and conglomerate that is Disney. And Mm -hmm. eventually he ended up, well, not he, but Disney, the company ended up getting the rights back to Oswald, the lucky rabbit. Mm -hmm. So that is all that I have for fun facts. Okay, cool. Well, uh, my production details are kind of few and far between. It's a little bit harder when it's a animated movie. Um, So I do have a few, though, that I want to touch on. Um, So development on up began back in 2004. Um, As Emily shared, there were many ideas uh, that were originally thrown around, but eventually they landed on a, quote, resurrection story, meaning that someone lost something or loses something and regains their purpose during their journey, which we kind of touched on that uh, with the inspiration from Casablanca, which... By the way, we covered in season one, so if you haven't listened to that episode, go check it out. Great movie. Um, yes, it's black and white, but is it is an all-time classic and is revered as one of the greatest movies of all time. If you're curious, it was episode six of season one. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Um, uh, during production, they decided that they were going to have the main character be an elderly man after they had kind of originally thought about those alien brothers uh, after they moved on from that, they decided that they would um, settle on an elderly man, and they chose that because Pete Doctor thought that it would be a rich source of humor. Mm-hmm. And I have to agree. I think Carl is hilarious. Not, yes. Not necessarily because he's trying to be no comedic. Yeah. But just you know the 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 lens or scope that he kind of views life through, mm-hmm. and kind of the um old person pass, if you will, just like being able to say or do things that we all kind of want to do, mm-hmm. um, but can't. Um, he just does, which is hilarious. Um, when animating the film, they had to create a new program. Um, so they wrote the code and everything in order to simulate realistic cloth slash clothing on uh, the characters as well as um Kevin's iridescent feathers. Mm. Yep. And I also believe that it does, it didn't say specifically, but I'm pretty sure I remember learning. uh, I watched an interview with the animators um, that that was also created so that they could get that um, 
translucent effect when the balloons go up in the house. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, not in the house, but like when he's in the city, the right. house is floating through the city and it goes in front of that window. The mm-hmm. little girl's playing. You get all those uh, reflections. Um, I believe it was used for that as well. And then last but not least. Um, oh, and I do have a fun fact. Remember, remind me to, to touch on that. I'll try. Um, but during production, there were one uh, animator calculated how many balloons it would take to get Carl and Ellie's house to actually float. And that number was 23 million balloons. And so when they actually animated that many balloons in the movie, it turned out just kind of looking like little tiny dots. So the animators chose to have 20,622 balloons um, animated for the liftoff sequence and then 10,297 balloons when the house is flying and then a varying amount of balloons for other scenes. Can I add to that? Yeah. I did see one other um, fact that I didn't include, but um, if, because we talked about how, um, you know, it would have taken a real house several million balloons to be able to lift off the ground. Right. So if you took the 20,000 that they animated, it would have only been able to lift 185 pounds. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, one guy. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. Huh. Okay. Well, that's all that I had. Oh, fun fact. Fun fact. Yes, so fun fact, there is an animator, and I didn't write his name down, I probably should have since I'm touching on it, but um, at Pixar, the animators like to draw characters or caricatures of each other um, just for fun, mm-hmm. and there was one animator who works at Pixar who is a Korean-American, mm-hmm. and someone did a caricature of him, and they ended up using that caric- caricature for the character model for Russell. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, that probably never happens. Yeah. Very possible that he's like the only one who that's happened to for like a main character, you know, not Mm -hmm. a background character. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is time to rate this movie. So on a scale of one to 100, how would you rate this? Okay. Honestly, I think I'm going to have to go... 95. Okay. I was kind of thinking the same thing. I've, you know, from when we watched it to now, I've kind of gone back and forth in my mind. Um, Because when we first turned it on, I was immediately thinking like, man, I could almost tie this with Interstellar, like at 98. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, you know, maybe I could do like 94. Um, But, you know, I've, I've thought about it, gone back and forth quite a bit. And at the end of the day, I really love this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't really have any criticisms of this movie. Are you going to give it a 100? I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to. Um, you know what? I'm going to up mine to 97. Really? Yeah. It's okay. so good. It's like, it's very nostalgic and I just, I could watch it on repeat. Like, I love it. I think I could too. And you know what? I agree with you 100% and I'm going to give it a 97 too. Okay. You know what? I'm going to give it a 97 and a half. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I love this movie. I mean, we love this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this movie is tied to kind of our lives, our marriage uh, very intimately. So 
For those of you who don't know, um, Emily and I have been married for just shy of three years at the time of this recording, but we've been together for seven years. And early on in our relationship as a, I think I got it for you for Christmas, right? It was a Christmas gift? Yes. I think so. It was either like an anniversary. Or an anniversary. I think it was an anniversary. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, you're right. It was. So as an anniversary gift, I gave Emily the uh, Our Adventure book that Ellie has, Ellie and Carl. Um, I gave that to her as an anniversary gift many years ago, and we have put pictures in it over the years, but we also used that book as the uh, like guest sign-in book for our wedding day. And uh, we also, because of that, almost chose the song that plays like the the up theme, like mm-hmm. during that whole sequence where you see Carl's and Ellie's life play out. Mm-hmm. That was almost the song for our first dance. Yes. So th- this movie is very special to us. Mm-hmm. Not even going to try to hide like the bias that I have towards this movie. Right. But um, I think even outside of that bias, it's pretty hard to argue that this movie isn't one of the greatest movies ever. Yeah, it, for sure. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what were some of your favorite scenes, if you can choose just a few? Man, that is tough. Um, there's so much that I like about this movie. So what what I'm going to do is start with my only criticism of the movie. Oh, you have a criticism? I only have one. And it this is such like a minor thing that it's very forgivable and kind of like uh, you can overlook it. Um. The only thing I will say that I can criticize this movie on is just that um, in the movie, Charles Muntz is this adventurer who Carl and Ellie look up to as kids. Mm-hmm. They don't ever explicitly say how old Carl and Ellie were um, when like the Spirit of Adventure movie came out, you know, and they were watching it. But I mean, I would have to guess, you know, like maybe eight years old, somewhere somewhere in that neighborhood, anywhere from eight to 12. Mm-hmm. Um. Charles is obviously a full-grown adult in those, you know, movies, clips, whatever. He has a mustache. He's adventuring the world by himself. So he's at least 18. Right. Um, so, you know, he's anywhere from 10 to to 8 years older than them. I mean, I, I would guess he's probably older than that, though, somewhere in his 20s. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at the end of the movie, uh, or I guess middle of the movie, Carl and Russell run into him and Carl's an old man at this point. And, you know, again, they don't say how old Carl is, but just kind of using like real life examples. Like my parents are in their sixties and granted my parents have aged extremely well. Um, they, (laughs) they do not look like they're in their sixties. They, they look very young, but, and they're extremely healthy. Um, but you know, I wouldn't Carl, if if my parents are like that and they're in their 60s, then Carl has to be like in his 80s. Yeah. You know, uh, like that would be my guess. Not to say that there aren't some people who age less gracefully. That mm-hmm. is that is also true. But um, I don't know. That would make Charles Muntz like in his 90s. You know, like I, that's my only criticism is just that there is a bit of like a age discrepancy th- type thing there. Yeah, I guess I yeah, I can see that. That thought has run through my head before too. But I really don't think it's that big a deal. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, that's the only thing I have to say that's even borderline negative about the movie. Yeah. So what I do like about this movie is everything. 
<laughs> um, I mean, you know, when Carl's a kid, very like just the dynamic that him and Ellie have is very comedic. You can almost believe that like Carl was just like, he just married Ellie because she probably told him to, you know what mm. I mean? Like he just, they have that dynamic and it's so cute and it's so funny when it plays out as kids and then they get married and that whole opening sequence where it's just, uh, their life's playing out. It, I don't know. It, it crushes me every time I watch it. Oh yeah. And they're like, I would say I'm maybe a little bit more emotional or in touch with my emotions than most men would say that they, they are generally speaking. Um, so I recognize and admit that like I will tear up or, or shed some tears when watching movies that probably other people don't. But, um, regardless, like this, I mean, it it just is brutal and there's no dialogue. There's Mm -hmm. just the, I mean, the visual cues that you get from watching the story, as well as the auditory, the music, the score, as it changes, you know, from this happy, light, bubbly type music to this really somber and melancholy music. Um, that, that's the only information that's given to the audience. And yet, Every time I watch it, it just causes me to sob, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and to be truthful, it was maybe a little bit harder for me to watch now as a 25, almost 26 year old, um, as opposed to the, I don't know, dozens of times I've seen it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of that's just life perspective, being a little bit older and kind of having a little deeper understanding, but especially just, uh, you know, like. I think this is the first time we've watched it being married. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I know we watched it when, like early on when we were dating, mm-hmm. but I don't think we've ever watched it as a as a married couple. And so that really hit hard for me, especially for you and I, as you know, we really would like to start a family and things like that. Watching them get pregnant and then, um, you know, have a miscarriage, it's just brutal. Um, and then beyond that, watching Carl lose his wife and, you know, having to work through that is just so hard and I'm going to keep moving because it's just hard for me to talk about even now, but, um, I think it's really, really powerful Mm -hmm, for sure. And I have a lot of appreciation for being willing to go there. Mm-hmm. in a children's movie and be realistic about it mm-hmm. because, um, and I know I touched on this in the Mr. Rogers movie, um, knowing how to deal with those emotions and, you know, talking up to children, especially in mm-hmm. that way, being realistic about the hard truths of life right, is really important. Yeah. Um, and so I have a lot of appreciation for that. And I think that that's, that's a really cool thing that they did. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have a lot more that I could and want to say, but I've been talking for a little bit. What What are some of the things that stick out to you? Um, well, the I love the ending sequence, like that whole you know at the end when 
Russell's at his little Boy Scouts. I don't know what the right term would be. The Wilderness Explorers. on the badge uh, ceremony yeah, badge thing. ceremony. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like, first, I, I just think it's so funny when it pans through, like, you know, the boys getting their badges and then it's just Russell and he's like a mess. <laughs> well, especially <laughs> like, because they say, like, he says what they did and then it pans to the kid. Uh-huh. You know, so I don't remember uh, what the two kids prior to her, him were, but it says and Russell for assisting the elderly. And then it pans to him and it looks like a bomb went off. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that makes it even funnier. Yes. Um, but all that to say, I just, I really love, you know, like it looks like he's going to be alone. Like his dad clearly didn't show up like he said he was going to. Um, but right. then like, you know, you see Carl walk in and like, say like, Oh, I'm here for him. And, um, yeah. You know, then the whole thing with like the Ellie badge, that's the little grape soda uh, bottle cap. And um, yeah, that, I just that chokes me up just thinking about that, too. And like that, that scene makes me cry every time, too. Yeah. Just like for him to not only give that to, to Russell, but to say, you know, that this is the most coveted badge and, you know, I'm giving it to you because you went above and beyond the call of duty. Like. Like, I'm getting joked up right now. It's just such a special moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially just, like, the significance of um, building up young men. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having um, important those important formative relationships with a father-son dynamic or a mentor um, dynamic is so critical um, to the development of future generations. And it is heartbreaking that so many young men and women, um, but especially like I resonate with that just because I had have a dad who raised me who's phenomenal. Just I really have a wonderful dad who was very intentional in raising me and loving me. And there's so many kids who don't have that and that that's a dynamic that I really love in this movie that they touch on too. Just that you see Russell dealing with those emotions and how to communicate that to Carl when they first meet. Right. Um, that like, you know, he kind of slowly starts um, opening up. Right. Opening up and sharing those details just about like, well, Phyllis says I bother him too much, you know, all this stuff and. Like, oh, Phyllis isn't my mom. And like you mm-hmm. slowly kind of get a picture without ha- really, they didn't spend a lot of time talking about it. Right. But you can kind of put the pieces together. Exactly. And that's the beauty of it. You're able to get the whole story and an understanding of where he's at and what he's lacking and what he needs mm-hmm. and what Carl needs to be for him in a very short time span. And um, yeah, not to take it, not to take over the conversation, but I just, I love that. Um, yeah. And I was just going to continue on after that, just saying, you know, like, I also appreciate that after the ceremony, you know, like he and Carl went out to get ice cream, like his dad, um, would do with him and like, you know, like play the car game and things like that. So I just appreciated that whole sequence. And, um, on a less serious note, one of like my all time favorite scenes is when Russell first knocks on the door of Carl's house. Yes. Like, you know, the scene that we quoted at the beginning of this podcast, my sister and I quote it to each other all the time. Like it never fails that 
every time we get together, I think it comes up at least once. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, I think it's hilarious. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of more, but I, there's not a scene that I don't like, so it's hard to narrow it down. Yeah, it really is. And there, there is a ton to unpack in this movie. Um, especially when you consider that everything was done with a one and a half hour time frame. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. And like that, that is something that I specifically kind of want to touch on just that, like, especially now, like in 2023, in the last five years or so, I can think of more and more and more movies that get like three hours or more. Right. Uh, t- time frames. Like that's the running length. And that is insane. Wasn't there one that just came out that's like five hours or something? Um, no, I think it was it was close to four hours. It's Martin Scorsese's new movie, The Killers of the Flower Moon or something like that. Oh, OK. Um, yeah, it's like three and a half hours. Yeah, it's just crazy. Which, to me. But I mean, that's crazy long. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's major props to the producers of Up that they were able to fit this enormous storyline into an hour and 36 minutes. Exactly. I, I agree 100%. And, there, and do it well, too. Right. There's nothing wrong with having a long runtime on a movie. But what usually tends to happen is that you try to do too much because you have more time and then, you know, maybe the story becomes convoluted. When, when a talented director does it, you can really get something truly special because you have a a lot of time with characters um, in a long story. Mm-hmm. But I have a really deep appreciation for people who are willing to um, cut their stories down. You know, when in my college English class, and this sounds kind of uh, dark, but in in English and writing classes, they, they refer to it as killing your babies, which is that these stories that you work so hard on, you pour your soul into... You got to cut them down um, because usually there's a lot of fluff. And if you work hard on it, you can get something that's really, really good um, by condensing it. And that's what I think up is. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And I know when we watched it for research the other night, I couldn't hardly believe that it was an hour and a half because it's such a well-rounded story through and through it feels long but in the best ways possible right it doesn't like it doesn't feel like overly um like oh this is taking too long or anything slow um but it's just it's phenomenal Mm -hmm. and i I, kudos to them yeah for sure anything else that you want to talk about oh it's tough there's a lot that i think i could talk about um i think that one of the really cool things about this movie too is, I mean, just the the story um, or journey, I guess, that Carl goes on um, after losing his spouse and not necessarily knowing what to do with his life. I guess, like, especially when you think about like the world around him is gone, because um, in the beginning of the movie, the house that Carl and Ellie play in. Uh, when they're kids is the one they end up buying and every scene in that is you know it looks like it's just like this country road or something and like there are other houses and like Mm -hmm. just looks like a normal normal place but then after ellie passes 
Like everything's gone and it's this massive construction zone, Mm -hmm. which is so weird, but it's basically like it's this, you know, big metropolitan city and, um, he's kind of this just crotchety old man who then goes on this journey, uh, reluctantly with Russell, basically because Russell, um, uh, hitchhiked his way onto the house, not intentionally. He didn't know it was going to fly up, but, um, Anyways, they, they get going and uh, I think it's really cool as the story progresses to watch Carl kind of take over this like protector role. Like, yeah. He, and he even acknowledges it in the movie when Kevin, Doug and Russell are all with him. He's like, I don't want you here and I don't want you here talking to Kevin and Doug. And I'm stuck with you. And I'm stuck with you acknowledging the fact that like he he probably doesn't want Russell there. But he has to take care of him. Right. And he's going to take care of him. Yeah. And I love that, just the ownership that he takes over him, even though, like, you know, it's very comedic and funny when Mm -hmm. it first starts. But he's like, can I please come in? They're flying in the house. And Mm -hmm. he's like, no. And he shuts the door. (laughs) Um, But then, you know, he comes around, lets him in, and then they kind of get to know each other. Um, Going back to that. I'm stuck with you part. Sorry. Another fun fact I just didn't put in earlier. Um, that's part of the reason why they made the destination uh, Paradise Falls. Like, you know, because they didn't want it to be something where once he gets there, like he can just hand him off to a cop or something. That's right. I know, did see that. They didn't yeah. want him to have the um, privilege of being able to pass Russell off to like a social worker or a police officer or something right. like that. Um, so that's why they chose South America. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. No, you're fine. And, uh, I just love that as the movie goes on that, um, you know, you see Carl by the end almost become like an action hero who goes out of his way to save Russell. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he starts taking ownership over Doug, like I'm your master, you're a good boy you know, and stuff like that. Just the transformation of somebody who was grieving so hard and not knowing where to be in life to then finding his purpose again. Right. As we said, that was the director's goal with their story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really, really cool. Um, And it's not something that you see in media a lot, uh, at least not children's media. Mm -hmm. Um, Because... Death is a pretty weighty topic, and I think that this was done really tastefully in a really heartfelt way, and um, I've got nothing but love and respect for this. Yeah, same here. Well, is there anything else that you want to touch on? I know I did a lot of talking. No, I think you pretty much covered everything I was going to cover. Okay. Well, um, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. And this is such a great movie and we're having a lot of fun this season. We're really looking forward to, um, our guests this season. I actually, just this week, I got another guest booked on our podcast for this season. So we're going to have a lot, we're going to have some new faces where you brought up your sister. She's going to be on the podcast later this year, which is really cool. Um, so anyways, thank you guys for listening. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Next week, we're going to be watching the Hunger Games Catching Fire. Um, 
I forgot to see if they're streaming somewhere. Last time we covered the Hunger Games, it was streaming on Peacock, so maybe check there. But um, anyways, uh, we're excited to cover the sequel to the first movie, um, kind of coinciding with the new Hunger Games movie, which is coming out soon, The Ballad of uh, Songbirds and Snakes, which is the prequel movie about President Snow. Mm-hmm. Um, but anywho, we're excited to cover this, um, so you can look forward to that and tune in next week. I looked it up. You sadly have to purchase it or rent it. Oh, no. But, well, guys, it's worth it. It is it's worth it. It's so good. I think Catching Fire is probably the best Hunger Games movie. I think so, too. Um, and, I mean, if you haven't listened to the first Hunger Games episode that we did, yeah. go back to season one. Go check one. it out. That was episode five. So, check that out first. Yeah. And then come back to Catching Fire. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye.